Hey, I'm Lika Sumba, and this is our journey across Africa, navigating the intricate landscapes of business, culture, and global influence from the African perspective. Africa Whisperer, telling authentic African stories in a global way. On this episode of the Africa Whisperer. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually the second industry today after agriculture on the continent. But in the world, the, actually in the world after tech, it's the same. The most billionaires comes from the beauty industry. Victorine Sar Ewa really is the friend you want to take home to your African parents. I say this because coming from a typical African family, she ticks all the boxes. She's highly educated and then excelled to global heights really young in an executive position at Apple based at the Louvre offices, where she traveled to 80 countries around the world. After which she switched gears when she was headhunted by global beauty powerhouse L'Oreal to head up their offices in Senegal and overseeing Nigeria, Ghana, and the surrounding West Africa region. For most, this is where your story would end, right? But for Victorine, this is where it really began. So the question is, what causes somebody who has the world at her feet, is earning six-figure salaries at top companies to start her own company from scratch? I would say definitely purpose. Victorine started Live Cosmetics and within just over two years started to make a profit. The road was not an easy one, but she made it work. What I think is particularly heartwarming about this story is that growing up in Senegal, she was told that her skin was too dark so she couldn't wear makeup. Let that sink in. But she rose above it all and started her own cosmetics range with the hero product being a blue lipstick dispelling any rumors about bright colors and gorgeous melanated skin. Victorine also understands the business of beauty and how it can impact change and create jobs in Africa. Here is how our conversation went. Victorine, I am so relieved to finally have you on the episode of the Africa Whisperer. We're going to have to give a backstory to this one day, one day. <laughs> it has to happen. I'm so grateful for your patience. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Now, you know, Liv, it's not, I mean, Liv, I'm calling you Liv because of Liv Cosmetics. Victorine. <laughs> It has become my second name or maybe my first name. People call me by the, my company name. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. So maybe that's a great way of starting where the name Live Cosmetics came from. Well, the Live definitely, I mean, you have my my my, my nickname in it. The, the two, the double V at the end, yeah. those two are my, my nickname. My, my family calls me Vivi and... Yeah. Um, you have Liz and Lynn, those two are my two best friends from childhood. So we just thought, you know, when at the beginning, when I sat them down, told them about leave, it sounded nice, well shot, memorable in French and in English. And then you have Liz, Lynn and Vivi. 
you get leave. That's the first meaning of the, the name. And then also it means just leave, right? Leave, leave the beauty you are, leave your, you know, you have to, to, to know yourself, know who you are, express your beauty, leave the beauty you are, inner beauty, right? Like from in and out, inside comes outside. I love that. I love that. So you are originally from Senegal. Tell us the story about what it was like growing up in Senegal and also what ideals of beauty were when you were growing up. I was born in Dakar, Senegal from from two Senegalese parents who come from an island called Fajut, which my parents say they are, uh, Fajut is the eighth the eight, uh, how do you say, merveille, you know, the wonders of the world. Like, I think there are seven. Yeah. They just added their village to, like, is the, the, the eighth one. Yeah. <laughs> they are so funny, but it's actually a beautiful village. Uh, it's not even a village. It's an island uh, all surrounded by oysters. Oh. It's blue water. Uh, some parts you see that it's white sand. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And so we love water. I, I started swimming, I think at two years old I had a beautiful childhood I have three siblings and uh, yeah beautiful childhood really I'm the darkest in my family so I really grew up to talk about the, the history of beauty I grew up in a family where my mom is fair my my dad is dark skin like me but everywhere I was going people were telling me why are you so dark when my sister was fair my brothers are fair and so I was like ah, this is not normal you know we are from the same family but they still find a way to differentiate us it was very strange to me so you know teenage years it was difficult uh, I was you know wondering why am I dark myself I was wondering when I know my dad is dark but still you know and so I feel like, you know, uh, that's the beginning, I guess, of, you know, maybe at that time did not realize, but unconsciously I was thinking about it. And the only way I could feel confident was, you know, using a, a lip balm or a lipstick because everybody was like, you are too dark to even use makeup. So I, I just did not use makeup because of it, you know. Everybody said you were too dark to use makeup? Yeah, because I was too dark. So they were like, don't even try makeup. Wow. When you talk about growing up and people saying things like you can't wear makeup because, you know, you're dark and, and all of just those complexities. What I find so interesting is that some people believe that that was as a result of what you see in popular culture in terms of advertising and, and all of that. Do you think that that influenced why, how people mm-hmm. defined what skin was better as a black person? Do you think growing up in Senegal, it was because of the images you saw on TV, in magazines? Yeah. And this is Senegal, you know, this is a black African country where most of the women are dark skin like me. So it was even more like bizarre to me. Let's go into you becoming a corporate executive. You had a fantastical job at Apple. So talk to us about how you got that particular job and what that job was like, what you learned, um, some of the obstacles, just the story about um, Victorine at Apple. Where do I even start? Okay, let's start with the beginning. Apple Apple was like a you know, a dream come true because I've always admired that company since the first iPod came out in, in, I think it was 1998 or 2000. And so I always wanted to, you know, work for Apple. And I was like 15 or 14 at that time. 
So every day, like, I was, like, obsessed going on their website every day, trying to see what they were doing. So I was very aware of everything that was happening at Apple. And so it just continued, you know, until I, I went to do my... Every day I went to the website, checked out if they had uh, openings in France, any vacancies, job vacancies. I was just submitting every day, every day, every day, until I got an email in 2000. Nine. I wasn't even done with school. I mean, that was the last year of my master. Haven't great, uh, graduated yet. But then I, I received an email saying that they're looking for, you know, they're recruiting in Paris and all of that. I was like, ah, is this for this? Is this real? And then, you know, we just uh, I spent maybe three months just going through the recruitment process, and uh, I, I was so excited. This this was the first time I did not tell anybody what I was doing. <laughs> I just wanted to keep it secret until it was out, you know? When you, most of the time, I like, I say everything I do. I could not tell anybody. I could not tell anybody. I just wanted yeah. to be real, like real, real for real. And then the day, as I remember that Friday, they called me. I was in the mall just trying to, to release some stress because I was waiting for them to call me to confirm or not. And then they called me at 3 p.m. saying that I was recruited. Oh, my God. That was the best day of my life. <laughs> Oh my God, I called my parents. I told them they, they thought I was lying. My parents did not believe me until I signed the contract. I had to sign the contract for them to believe me. That's how that's how the whole thing went. And so, yeah, I started working for Apple in 2009. Started working for them as a, you know, business developer. They promoted me quite fast. And then I ended up working at the marketing department as, you know, the head of product marketing uh, for iPhone. I started with iPhones and then I did all the rest, like MacBooks, iPads. I did all the launches in France. I did that for four years. Yes. So from the Paris branch, I traveled the world, to be honest. I think I, 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 I did maybe like 100 countries, maybe no, maybe like eight, 80. Yeah, maybe 80, something like that. Yeah. In four years, which which was amazing. But then on the downside, you know, it really took a, a, a toll on my health because I was like just working super hard and not balancing it well. So I guess that that's also, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to leave because I started getting sick. I was fainting everywhere. <laughs> it was serious. You know, it's funny how when your dream actually happened, you know, you have to be careful on everything else that 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 follows. I think that was just a sign from God to tell me that, you know, this, this is the end of the road for you. You have to find something else. And that's exactly what I did. I resigned. And right after that, I got recruited by L'Oreal, who was looking for someone to open their offices in Dakar. And yeah, I changed industry, changed countries, left Paris to go back to Dakar, opened their office there and was in charge of uh, West Africa for L'Oreal, um, so Senegal, Côte d'Ivoire, 
Ghana in Nigeria did that for two years and a half. That was also very insightful, very enlightening, very rich, very rich experience. And that opened the door today to my company. So I'm, I'm forever grateful to L'Oreal for that. <laughs> so you're telling your parents you're doing well. You've been to 80 countries in the world. You're working at Apple, the top store, most expensive store in the world. And now you're like, oh, I'm, I'm tired. I'm coming home to work the for L'Oreal in Dakar, yeah, Senegal. Yeah. How did this conversation happen? Oh, my God. My parents, they are very, you know, they, they, you know, they went, they are very educated by my dad is actually a telecom engineer he went to polytech you know he's like super super smart brilliant guy uh, my my mom the same so you know education is very important so i got that they were happy i started the you know corporate ladder they were very proud of me and so when i'm like I, i'm leaving apple they did not understand they said okay what's the plan so my dad is more reasonable so it's like what's the plan because if you are leaving apple the company of your dreams it means that you have something better right i said yes i have something better indeed because i waited until i had you know started the talk with l'oreal to tell him i don't yeah so l'oreal wants to recruit me and they are opening the offices so he was like okay so this sounds like a good plan so he was actually fine with it my mom who was a bit uh she was doubting the whole thing a bit but then you know after a month when she came she saw the offices she saw i was well rounded and all of that she was happy with it she was happy yeah. <laughs> she was getting all the good products you know she was happy and yeah. that was that was fine uh, the problem started when i decided to leave l'oreal to start my company so I'm sure your parents are like, this is the child that has all the opportunities. I'm telling Why you. Why does this keep happening? So yeah, you decide you want to leave L'Oreal. I imagine it was easier to tell the people at L'Oreal than it was to tell your family. What was the, the general family reaction and how does this even happen? Do you sit your parents down? Do you take them for dinner? Do you cook for them? You know? <laughs> oh, it was terrible. Terrible. To be honest, I, I was a talk of town. My parents, my mom especially was so happy. And so when I tell them that I was leaving, they, they were like, oh, what's happening? Is, is somebody, uh, you know, doing something to you or what, what is it? Because Everything was actually good, you know. I did not have any problems. I was enjoying the job. I was traveling more and more in Africa, which what which was what I wanted. So it's just it was just a matter of when you feel like you can do more, mm. much much more, having more impact. Mm. That's that was it. That was it. Mm. But they could not understand it. Even my own parents that I love, that love me, mm. they could not understand it. You know, mm. and so I just spent like almost a year not not talking to them unless, you know, like just the basic things like how are you? Not the same relationship. So it was devastating for me and for them, too, I'm sure. Mm. That was like really one of the hardest times in my life. But I just had to do it. You know, I did not back down. I just had to prove, you know, that I'm making the right decision for me. Mm. And eventually for you, you will see it later. So that's that's how it happened. I really admire your resilience because so you're building a business and you're building Definitely. a team, but you're, you're in this situation where you're kind of not in the best place with your family. But how do you actually start this brand? How do you start Live Cosmetics and what became your initial hero product? How did that, how does the launch off take 
for the business? So I saved for three years to be able to leave for three years. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, let me just do this. If it works fine, if it doesn't, after three years, I just have to, you know, to realize I did not work and then I have to look for a job because money is finished. Mm. <laughs> that was it. That was the plan. And so... Uh, thank God. The second year mark, yeah, second year and two months, yeah, we started being profitable. Mm. And I started paying myself, which I was not doing, you know, the first two years mm. of the company. So, yeah, I was able to, because when I was working for Apple and L'Oreal, I was very well paid, um, six figures job, you know, uh, salary and I was able to invest in stocks. So, yeah, I was able to start the company with that money mm. uh, without, you know, any help. Of course, since my family did not believe in me, mm. <laughs> I had to do it by myself. So, yeah, that's that's how I was able to leave for a little more than two years without being, you know, without paying myself. So you create a lipstick that's the color blue. And wh what's so fascinating about this is that people were kind of conservative with the color lipstick they were wearing. The decision to make the first, I believe the first product was this blue lipstick. What was going through your mind and how do you go about even manufacturing it? Are you making it in Senegal? Are you manufacturing outside of Senegal? Are you manufacturing outside of the African continent? How does that all happen to create the very first product, the trial and error of it? One of the first obstacles were to realize that I could not manufacture in the continent because, mind you, makeup, for some reason, is not possible to, to be manufactured in Africa. And so I had to find ways to make it happen either way. And so I started manufacturing in Toronto, in mm. Canada. And then later on, I also had, you know, another factory wow. I was working with in, in the U.S., in San Jose. Mm. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how, you know, we were able to manufacture the first products, the first lipsticks. So we started the blue lipstick called after, named after me, Vivi. <laughs> blue because it's my favorite color. And then, like you said, it was bold. I knew that it was, you know, some people were not going to like it and some people who just love blue were going to embrace it. And yeah, that's, that's, that, that was the whole spirit, right? Like, if you like us, fine, we embrace you. If you don't, you are just not for us, you know, might as well know it in the beginning. That was just my, my reasoning. Mm -hmm. And it, it actually, you know, worked in our favor. Of course, the beginnings are always hard. It's slow. But I think I was fortunate enough to meet the right people at the right time who were able to also introduce me to the right people. And so that's how I got my first distribution deal right after registering the company. So I registered the company in October 2015. And I got the first contract in January 2016. So we actually started the operations in January. Was it, was it word of mouth, would you say? Or what was it, do you think, that, that helped you? Yeah, so it's actually a friend I met through my experience at the Mandela Washington Fellowship, you know, the Yali program that uh, Barack Obama, the President Barack Obama initiated in 2015. Yeah. And um very good friend I met through the program and she just introduced me to one of her friends who actually owns like chains like of beauty beauty shops and institute. Wow. That's that's how it happened. 
really. And then after that, mm. the good thing that happened was that because the products were good, so people, you buy ones, they talk mm. about it, word of mouth. We started getting press also. People started believing in us, calling us, yeah, we want to try. They started buying. So you were doing, the whole model is B2B. So we're getting wholesalers buying the products and then just, you know, we, oh. they, we distribute into their you know their own channels like different beauty studios makeup studios some drug stores and that's how it all happened so now just to track back slightly because I, I think this is so fascinating your story just resonates of even like just how important you know the people that surround you are and being able to network almost in a, an authentic way but now there's also the i believe if i'm not mistaken there was a story around how during the in the, the mandela washington fellowship there were how many how many people were actually part of this fellowship because you were then ended up being in the top like in the top of the of the people yeah tough 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 selection i think my year 2015 they they selected 500 people from the whole continent of africa and only 15 mm -hmm. from senegal and then they receive like 250,000 applications oh my God. so that's wow. not i think that's like what one percent of of the of chances yeah, yeah. So that was very, the selection process was super, 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 super hard. But now once, once you actually make it in, you were actually one of the, the few people who actually got to have the one-on-one -on -one with the Obamas. And then, yes, and then something crazy, yes. And then I got there and then I was also selected to go to the White House to meet with Barack and Michelle. How crazy is that? <laughs> The day you meet them, what happens? What transpires? Well, Michelle told me and she was like, girl, I love your blue lipstick. Yes, that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that was the best, the best, the best. But no, but like to be, to be, to be more serious, she actually introduced me to later on, two years later, I got an angel investor and she's yeah. the one who actually put me in contact with the vc fund that you know everything started that way so that was very you know like key in my development in my company development and so i'm, I'm forever grateful for that meeting and for meeting for meeting her so now going into live um skincare Again, there's a beautiful story how you develop that particular range, especially this now happening around the COVID period. The world is going through great transitions. So much is going mm -hmm. on. So what's the story behind Live Skincare? Well, um, so my whole point since the beginning, I always wanted to make impact, right, in my community. Mm -hmm. And so I was very sad when I know when you know, it was not possible to manufacture in the continent. So my whole since the beginning I wanted to manufacture. That's the, that's the main thing for me in this industry. It's about manufacturing, you know, adding value to whatever we decide to do. And so I wanted to manufacture. And today in Africa, you can only manufacture skincare or hair care or, you know, personal care, like, you know, the, 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 the body care, you know, hygiene and stuff. So I was like, okay, I started with makeup, but skincare is actually the beginning right so let me you know of course we did a lot of studies surveys and it just made sense to, to do something in skincare and locally mm -hmm. 
No, I was able to find the right people to do this, to do this skincare line here, right here in Ghana, where I'm based now. I've been based here for six years now. And so, yeah, from sourcing, manufacturing, packaging, everything is done in Ghana. From your perspective, was it cheaper for you or has it been cheaper for you to manufacture in Ghana or to manufacture in Canada and in and in America and bring it into the country? What has been the cheaper, what has been easier for you as, as a business person? Well, it made financial sense because definitely cheaper for me compared, you know, I was manufacturing in the US, remember, like in America. Mm. So when you compare, definitely it's cheaper here is cheaper when mm. I started the process. But yeah. still today, I mean, even with the inflation, it's still cheaper because uh, the fact that I was manufacturing in, in America, it was involving a lot of shipping and delivery from that mm. side to the continent because most of my, my customers, you know, they live in the continent. It just, I, I had to cut down on cost. And so it just made financial sense to do this thing here too. And so, yeah, it helped. Even with the inflation today, it's, it's still cheaper to do it here. But then, of course, you have other challenges, you know, running a business right here on the continent. Yeah. But What's been the biggest challenge? The, challenge, the biggest uh, supply chain, supply chain for sure, number one, uh, because you get, um, let me give you an example, you get these bottles and then, the person who supply you is telling you that they can't get the same bottles. They can't get it anymore, mm. you know, which is a problem. When you start wow. with a, a specific bottle, you need to continue with that bottle. So supply chain is a problem in, 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 in Africa. And so you just have to find your way around it and, you know, figure out something. But mm. number one, supply chain. Number two, logistics. Because logistics is still part of it. You still have to ship your products to customers all over the world because we do worldwide shipping, right? We have to ship to America. We have to ship to, to Europe um, mainly. And then also Africa. Africa is a big struggle. Like shipping from Ghana to South Africa, for instance, it costs me more money to do that than from, you know, from Ghana to France, which is crazy. It's such an indictment on the continent that it costs so much because, you know, it, it costs a lot to travel just as on a vacation or to go on holiday from one African country to the other. It costs more than going overseas. Now to hear that as a business owner who's passionate about Africa, who wants impact, who wants, you know, Africans to have access to your products and it, it costs you more to ship from Ghana to South Africa than from Ghana to France, I think. So now, Victorine, I'm, I'm so fascinated about this because I know that the beauty, the business of beauty is, it's huge, you know, it's huge. So I'm... Oh, it's, it's huge. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually the second industry today after agriculture on the continent. But in the world, the, actually in the world after tech, it's the same. The most billionaires comes from the beauty industry. So to tell you the importance of this industry. So that's incredible. So in 2021, the global beauty business industry was worth $511 billion. That's for beauty and personal care. But in Africa, although you're saying that the, it's second to agriculture, it's only worth $1.26 in Africa. The question that I have to ask is that, are we exporting enough? Are Africans supporting African beauty products enough you know what do you think needs to be done to increase that number and and the, when when you see a number like 1.26 billion do you see this impact 
on, on your business personally? Well, I see, I see, I see, I see the growth, right? I see the growth from, from, from the time where, you know, I was working at L'Oreal like six years ago, mm. uh, seven years ago to now, I see a total shift. Mm. Seven years ago, people were so proud to buy I'm, I'm talking about like African decent people, like from, uh, you know, people from the diaspora. They were craving imported products, you know, products from L'Oreal, from, from Estee Lauder. Mm. And for them, buying something from Africa was not, you were not getting quality. So they had to buy those products mm. seven years ago. But today, today I see a shift. I see more and more people, you know, believing in African brands, mm. African products, uh, locally made products and I see it in my business most of our customers today they are they are mostly of course is people from the diaspora who, who were they were outside they came back in the continent or they are doing you know the back and forth they are in between but very in touch with their roots and their heritage mm. and so that's that's the shift today that is making our business like just the, the change of mentality uh, we need to see more of that of course, mm. we see the growth, like I said, but then we need more growth. We need more people thinking that way mm. and supporting more mm. African companies, African brands mm. on the continent. Mm. That's to give us the chance, you know, to, to really compete against these, these giants, these mm. giants that really today they are all coming on the continent. Look at Fenty. They yeah. all want to, to be here, you know. Obviously, the demand, the future, the present is now, is here. Mm. And so we just need more people believing in us and supporting us. And that's how it's going to happen, you know. More people like you two talking about us and putting our stories out there. Mm. You know, it's all part of the system. Mm. Because if they don't hear about us, they think that nothing is happening in Africa. There's no African brand doing cosmetics. No African brand is, you know, manufacturing good quality products. They won't know, even though we, we do make them. So it's all part of the chain, right? We need one, we need two. And number three, I'll come back to that. That's logistics <laughs> to yeah. make our life easier. Yeah. And so that we can get those good products to those people who want them everywhere, you see. So that's what needs to happen. And and now when you look at the, just the the kind of the jobs that can be created around it, because, uh, you know, on a basic level, if somebody is listening um, and they want to go into the beauty field and they might not want to be a like a beauty entrepreneur. What are some of the other job opportunities in the beauty sector? And from your understanding, is this something that is being taught in school so people are able to, you know, are these things that people can learn in schools where there's an education system to support job opportunities in the beauty industry? On the product side, but uh, I mean, product and service go hand in hand. The services need the products. Mm. But if you have opportunities in product you, you have opportunities in services so services like today i'm sure you've seen it in ghana i mean services like lashes wax manicure pedicure massages mm. all of that mm. is the beauty industry mm. so opportunities are in those two i mean they, it, and it needs to be taught in school Mm. And people have to be trained, qualified, not just you wake up and then you're like, oh, I have passion for, you know, I want to do nails, I want to do hair, yeah. you know, I want to do makeup because mm. I love it because, I, uh, you know, but you have to go to school for it, you know. So there's opportunities and also, you know, building school for beauty, mm. which we're still lacking, I mm. think, 
you know, on the continent, those are still opportunities. It's, it's a whole ecosystem yeah. because if you do the products, but nobody's there to actually use the products uh, for other people, you don't have people to train, to, 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 to do the job. I mean, it's a whole ecosystem. So we need all of that. Those are all opportunities that, you know, um, are out there. Because you started your cosmetics brand, Live Cosmetics, you started in Senegal. And also you had mentioned before that when you came down to, to help L'Oreal uh, start their footprint in Africa, it started in Senegal. You might be the perfect person to explain, uh, to, to kind of differentiate or to dispel any rumor or any ideas around this. So when it comes to marketing to the French speaking part of the continent versus the English speaking part of the <laughs> continent, is there like enough of a communication? How, do you, how does that translate different? outside of language it's a struggle every day we had to change so many times i mean strategy mm. because today let's say we are in senegal we are in france so those two are french-speaking countries we are uh, the the anglophone we have ghana we have the u.s we have montreal which is half half right mm. so in most of our communication social media we have to do french and english mm. at the beginning we just did french and then along the line we we only did english and sometimes we do 50 50 so it's a bit confusing sometimes <laughs> you just try to satisfy everybody but it's difficult it's difficult so now we do we try to do i mean for the most important you know information we do french and english on the website you have french and english i mean if you want to go if you are in a french country you want to do french you can do french if you have english you can do english mm. uh, and social media i feel like it's just also you know the feeling if depending on what we are communicating on sometimes we do french sometimes we do english it, it's just we adapt yeah. we adapt but it's, it's really you know it's not easy when you have so many different markets and customers really they, they, they are they are different and they don't want the same thing necessarily yeah. So you just have to adapt. Even when it comes to strategy outside of language, is there a difference in terms of what kind of products people in the French speaking markets are looking at? What are the key differences that you see when it comes to products and how you communicate? You need to know your markets because that's one of the mistakes we made for Ghana, for instance, because, you know, our lipsticks are very colorful. That's one of our most, like, you know, key things about mm. leave is colorful we have colors vibrant colors mm. very pigmented and so when i came to ghana I, I was like okay it's gonna work because it worked very well for us in senegal in france people loved our colors loved our lipsticks i came here nobody was buying the colorful lipsticks they were only mm. going for nude and the nude we only had two shades mm. so it was only nude and you know, maybe like 10% were yeah. buying red. When in our other markets, our francophone markets, it was more the colorful, mm. you know, shades. So you see those differences in also products tells you a lot about your, mm. your markets and your customers. And I did not do enough research when I was coming to Ghana to, to know that the, the Ghanaian market, the Ghanaian woman, they do not like colors. So if I had, you know, done my job correctly, I would have maybe you know, change strategy and maybe do a special edition for Ghanaian, for the Ghanaian market and do like an, like a nude special edition or something. But that was, you know, to be transparent, that, that was one of our mistakes here. 
but we learn we've we've learned the hard way but we've learned <laughs> but uh, yeah those are some of the differences as, aside mm-hmm. on top of language mm-hmm. is products you know the product you put on the market. I think that that's so fascinating. It really shows that even in, in a continent that people may see as one and we're one for all intents and purposes, but the markets are so diverse and every single market, every single country, even in, in cities, you've got to just be sure that you know who you're talking to and who you're communicating to in order to ensure that, you, that you're successful as a brand. For sure. That's the, that's the number one step. You need to know who you're talking to. Now, Victorine, just to wrap this conversation up, you know, thank you again for your time. I'm going to, I, I'm going to say this and I, I want it to remain in this episode because I feel like when I tell the story of the podcast, the story of this interview is going to be shared. <laughs> We're sitting at a time, you know, where there's so much job insecurity. People are very uncertain about so many things. To be an entrepreneur is not an, an easy thing. But like you've said, in the beauty space, there are so many opportunities. What would you say would be needed or one or two things that you feel would really make a difference as an entrepreneur in this time because you're creating jobs number one uh, i want i want our government to work on this manufacturing of makeup that's that's the number one thing i don't know what needs to happen but i know it it needs to be it's a government it's it's a government will you know it it, it they need to sit down and and think about policies it's, it's a policy something has to happen around that because it's really painful to see that all makeup brands coming from the continent created by african women are manufactured outside of the continent mm. And these are businesses that are making millions of dollars. So it actually makes sense for this government to sit and change this Mm. thing. So I think that's the number one thing that needs to happen. Number two would be to, you know, to make the transport of goods and services easier. I think that after the African free zone is going to help make the, you know, the transportation of goods and services easier between countries like between Ghana and South Africa, you know, making it easier to transport products. Uh, those those are the, the main things, to be honest, that governments, this, this, this is from government, this is a call from government. Help us help the continent and, and just also help entrepreneurs on a bigger scale, doesn't matter the industry, to make the taxation more flexible depending on the type of businesses, the type of industry, the type of, you know, the, the, what the business is about and not just apply any type of taxes for all type of companies because it's not the same. Everybody is not doing the same thing. And you can't apply a 15% tax taxation on like a, co- a big corporation and apply it to, to a, a small business. But that's what they are doing now, you know. So they need to change those things to actually allow young people, women, and anybody who wants to enter entrepreneurship in Africa to do it and not be scared by all these obstacles, you know. So I think those three those three points are, 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 are key in if you work towards that, that, that will help a lot. Now, Victorine, just in closing, Live Cosmetics, if you could say why it exists and where you want it to go, what the future vision is, what, what would you say? The vision is definitely to take leave. I mean, you know, 
worldwide everywhere i want people you know you 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 go to the airport you travel you see leave you arrive somewhere you see leave you go outside in town you see leave you know all products are made in africa for 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 melanated skin you know because we we really the demand is here the offer is still low um, so I want us to be closer to from the time that I met you and then uh, sitting on a panel with you and just hearing your story. I've heard your story in different ways. That's why I was kind of like egging it on. I'm inspired by you. I believe that the continent is just made up of so many like awesome women like yourself who dare to dream and dare to believe, you know, I feel that as awesome as your products are, your story is fantastic. And when you have a story, and when you've got like when you're smart in numbers and you've got an awesome product, the, literally the sky is the limit. Thank you, darling. We say amen. We say amen, 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 amen. I'm ro- rooting for live, live cosmetics, live skincare. I think that yeah, you've got so much to offer the world. So it's really fantastic. So for me, when I think of the story of live cosmetics, I just think that it's only beginning. We're waiting for the next chapters. It's going to be incredible. Thank you so much for your time, Victorine. Thank you so much again for engaging with another episode of the Africa Whisperer. I truly appreciate it. If you want to find anything out about myself or about the guests, please go to theafricawhisperer.com. We really would appreciate your feedback and your engagement with the content. And please remember to share this podcast across all of your networks. If you want to find out anything more about me, you can also follow me on social media. That's Lee Kasumba across a very social media platforms it's been amazing putting this episode together for you i hope that you enjoyed it and you learned as much from my guest today as i did enjoy the rest of your day